welcome to the Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast. It is Monday, July 2nd, 2018. First episode of the Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast. Well, I guess technically it's actually the, the second episode. I uploaded an episode of this, I guess, over a year ago. I want to say April 2017, and then naturally it went into hibernation for over a year, but we are back. I think the goal is to get this out multiple times a week. Uh, I'd say at least three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, at least at this point, sounds pretty nice. So I think we're going to try to do something like that. It'll be a little tough this week because the holiday is on a Wednesday. Um, so maybe not Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week, but definitely starting next week, I think we will definitely be able to do something like that. A lot of big news in the in the sports world over the weekend of course it was the start of nba free agency nhl free agency uh baseball is in full swing pardon the pun uh nascar big nascar guy by the way we're going to touch on that towards the end of the show but i think we have to start with the nba the landscape changed yet again uh in the span of just a few hours lebron james did not stay in cleveland he did not go to Philadelphia. He signed with the team that a lot of people envisioned him signing with. Anyway, he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers on a four-year max deal worth $154 million. Now, reports came out later on that that fourth year is an option year for him, so he can opt out at the end of that uh, after three years if he so chooses. But LeBron goes out west to Los Angeles to play for an iconic franchise for, you know, really the first time in his career. Obviously, he started his career with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then he travels down to Florida to play for the Miami Heat for several seasons, goes back to Cleveland. But those two franchises, they don't they don't hold a candle to how iconic the Los, the Los Angeles Lakers franchise is, of course. So you you have to look at this, I think, from from two different viewpoints, right? You, first off, I think a lot of people have to look at this from a basketball standpoint. This was uh, a concern that was raised a lot uh, after the announcement was made by Clutch Sports. That was Rich Paul's agency, uh, LeBron's agent. Why would LeBron travel out west where you already have to deal with teams like the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors when you could go to a team like a Philadelphia who some would say they overachieved last year as a Sixers fan. I think that's fair to say. They win 52 games. They they end the season on a 16-game winning streak. They take care of the Heat in five games. But then they kind of get you know throttled by the, the Celtics in, in the second round. A nice gentleman sweep. Uh, they do win game four, but they couldn't make the comeback from 3-0 down, which was not too surprising. But you kind of wonder from a basketball standpoint, you add LeBron to the, the Philadelphia 76ers, they're right there with Boston. You look at the Eastern Conference, there's there's two teams at this point. You have Boston and you have Philadelphia. Because we've now seen that Toronto isn't really going to do, you know, they're they're not a factor. Um, they had their chance this year and they blew it. So they're, they're not a factor. Indiana, they're a nice story, but I don't think they're at that point yet to where they're a, a contender. So you look at the Eastern Conference, if LeBron was worried about winning a title before his career was over, he would have stayed in the East and he would have gone to Philadelphia. But instead, he goes out West 
And looking at the standings, right, for the West last year, so you have Houston, they get 65 wins. Golden State has 58. Portland had a very uh, a very nice season, at least before the playoffs. Uh, they went 49 games. The trio of Oklahoma City, Utah, and the Pelicans each win 48 games. The Spurs and the Timberwolves each win 47. And the Nuggets, they finish uh, as the ninth seed, just one game back of those T-Wolves with 46 wins. The Lakers, they go 35-47, and 47, 11th in the Western Conference. Now, they, they do have the nice young core, right? They have Lonzo. They have Josh Hart, the Villanova product. Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma. Uh, it seems like Julius Randle, I saw a report that he does not want to return to Los Angeles, so I don't think you can count him in that core anymore. Now, things can change, obviously, but I don't think he'll end up um, back with the Lakers. I'm sure there's another team somewhere that will give him an offer. Of course, he's not an unrestricted free agent. He is a restricted free agent. But you also bring back Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He signed for one year, $12 million. You bring in Lance Stevenson on a free agent contract. You bring in JaVale McGee. You steal him from the from the Warriors. You bring in Mo Wagner from the draft. They drafted him, so he should be able to help out, uh, at least as a rotational player, uh, in some capacity in his in his rookie campaign. Wagner, the uh, standout from, from the Michigan Wolverines, that team that made the, the title game this year. But from a basketball standpoint, it's very rough because the way the team is constructed now, obviously things can change, uh, and they did change in the matter of a few hours when they bring in several free agents. They bring back Caldwell Pope, and they sign Stevenson and McGee. But the way this team is constructed now, it's hard to say that they're anything better than than maybe a, a six seed, right? So you, you, Houston and Golden State are echelons better than any other team right now in, in the Western Conference. Is Portland going to be as good as they were a season ago? Uh, it's possible. Uh, do they get the three seed? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I probably would not predict them to get that three seed. Again, I think they'll still be a very good team. I don't know if I predict them to get the three seed. Utah is building a very nice program, of course, led by Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert and a lot of other uh, solid players on that team. I think they'll just continue to build and become better. The Pelicans, even if they don't retain DeMarcus Cousins, I think are in a very good spot. They actually just signed Alfred Payton to a one-year deal. Now, I'm not the biggest Alfred Payton guy in the world, but especially considering Rajon Rondo is right now a free agent. Uh, Payton kind of had a little homecoming. Of course, he was... Uh, he played his college ball at Louisiana Lafayette, so he goes back down to New Orleans. Uh, the Spurs, they're in a, in a state of flux. It depends about the Kawhi situation, obviously. That doesn't need to be said. If they trade him for, hypothetically, if they trade him to the Sixers for Dario Scharch and Robert Covington, they're probably in a better position because uh, it seems like Kawhi does not want to play there. Um, he can't. There were reports that some GMs said, oh, Kawhi will just sit out for the entire season. He can't do that. There's a rule um, in the NBA to where if you sit out, you forfeit your chance to be a free agent. Now, what he could do uh, is just go out there and show no effort. Uh, I imagine the Lakers would not care at that point. They would still sign him to a max deal at the end of the 2018-19 season. But the the Spurs are in flux. Uh, I don't know. 47 wins and the and the seven seed is realistic to expect. They might miss the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Timberwolves obviously have some young talent. The Nuggets have some young talent as well. We're going to actually touch on them later in the podcast. But it's tough to see the Lakers suddenly being vaulted into being a contender just because they finally have LeBron James. It's it's hard to see them making it past even the second round. 
it's I think it's fair to say that they won't make the Western Conference Finals next year. Even if they get Kawhi, I still think it's fair to say that they probably don't make the Western Conference Finals next year. Houston, Golden State are just so much better. They're 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 on a completely different level from everyone in that conference, especially for the Lakers. And you have to wonder too if the Lakers do end up making this Kawhi trade, who they take away from that young core. That's that's another thing you have to worry about. So from a basketball standpoint, I think there is a better option on the table for LeBron, but Dwayne Wade said it a while ago because obviously he's he's one of LeBron's boys, so I'm sure he knows a lot more than most people. And he said in a radio interview, and we're going to get into that a little later as well, he didn't think it was a basketball decision for LeBron. He said this weeks ago, well, well before this decision was made. He said he didn't think this was going to be a basketball decision for LeBron, and that's fine. So you look at it from a non-basketball standpoint, and as a Sixers fan, I was obviously upset because I wanted him to come to Philadelphia, but I also respect the fact that he has other priorities, right? So clearly he wants you know a different lifestyle. He wants to live out in Los Angeles. He wanted what was best for his family. Uh, obviously, he, he has his son out there looking at, at high schools in that area. Uh, he has a house out there already. So it's from a non-basketball standpoint, it's, it's, it's almost admirable. I, I think that's a fair adjective to use to see LeBron do what's best, maybe not for him, but, but for his family uh, overall. And LeBron, I, I was reading a piece by Lee Jenkins late last night. Um, it came out. It was a it was a nice uh, look into how LeBron found himself as a member of the Los Angeles Lakers, and it was it was basically he told Magic Johnson, "Listen, we don't need to be a Finals contender this year. I'm here. I'm in it for the long haul. We just we'll get better. I want to build a contender that's going to be good for a long time. So it's I th- it's going to be interesting for me personally to see." how much how much patience he has right now obviously he's already there for at least three years uh, if not longer but it's this is going to be the first time in nine years that LeBron is not going to be in the finals that's fair to say he's not going to be in the finals this year which is going to be weird obviously LeBron has been a, a mainstay in the finals for so long but I'm interested to see how long it takes this team to get built up into a contender. And then also from a non-basketball standpoint, you know LeBron, he's a guy, he's already a star, he's a global icon, but you have to figure he wants to expand his brand as well, maybe get into what Magic Johnson is doing. And I think he was kind of enticed by by the thought of a partnership almost with Magic Johnson. Magic can maybe teach him uh, several things um, to where when LeBron retires, he'll be in a very good position. He could already do whatever he wants anyway, but I think he'll be in an even better position that he would have been if maybe he had stayed in Cleveland or gone to you know Philadelphia or, or somewhere like that. But LeBron to the Lakers, uh, something that people thought was going to happen for a while. I was getting a little nervous um, because I wake up on Sunday morning and then I see all these reports. Oh, his reps are meeting with the Philadelphia 76ers and this meeting wasn't supposed to happen. So you kind of get that, that little tinge of hope that, oh, Maybe the the Sixers have a chance, but I tweeted this out. If you don't think that LeBron had this, you know, at least close to 90% decided before yesterday, I I think you're crazy. LeBron, he doesn't just decide these things 
on a whim, right? Like I, my theory is that he had this decided before he even went to that decision cave down. Um, I, where was that? The Bahamas. There was some island. Uh, very nice house, by the way. Seventy-five thousand dollar a week house. Very nice. I was a little jealous. Little jealous, but. It's. I think he had this decided for a while. Um, LeBron to the Lakers changes the landscape of the league. We'll see the Lakers in a lot of primetime games this upcoming season, a lot of 10.30 p.m. tip-offs. I'm interested to see what their Christmas Day matchup is going to be. Um, I think some people would say the Lakers and the Celtics would be nice. You get that. Like, a lot of people are pushing, oh, the rivalry has been renewed. So I, that would be interesting to see. I personally think we're going to see the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors um, on Christmas Day this upcoming year. I'm sure that the league is going to try very hard to push that rivalry, even though one team is vastly ahead of the other. But who knows? We'll see. LeBron to the Lakers. Uh, the other really big thing that happened over the weekend, this happened before free agency started, playoff P, Paul George, remains with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He signed for a four-year max deal as well. Four years and $137 million to remain a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I personally was shocked. I was very happy, by the way. I respected Paul George a lot for sticking with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He didn't even give the Lakers you know, the light of day. He didn't give them a meeting. He didn't give them anything. He decided to stay with the Thunder. And it, it's funny because this time last year, everyone's saying, Oh, he's definitely going to go to the Lakers. No matter what team tries to trade for him from Indiana, they're not going to be able to keep him anywhere. They're giving up assets for one year of nothing, and then he's just going to leave. Uh, So naturally, you fast forward a year, and he doesn't do any of that. It seemed like he really formed a nice relationship with with Russell Westbrook, and that kind of convinced him, at least partially, to, to stay. And I think it's even more surprising because... This this wasn't expected. Nothing leaked like, oh, Paul George is planning on remaining with the with the Thunder, barring, you know, something sudden. Sam Presti and that, that Oklahoma City front office kept this under wraps for a while. There was the report that said that they knew that Paul George was coming back for a while, so they have been operating this offseason like they knew he was coming back. So I I like the fact that, that Paul George stayed. Obviously, I think everyone does. He uh, doesn't go to the Lakers. He kind of shunned them after they all thought that he would come back home, which he did not. It's nice to see them. It's nice to see a player kind of stay. You could you could consider OKC a, a small market, especially compared to Los Angeles. So that's nice to see. You look at the outlook. OKC was the, the four seed last year, but they lose in the first round to the Utah Jazz. You still have Russ. You have Paul George now. You have Steven Adams. Unfortunately for that team, Carmelo opted in. I'm interested to see how that works out this year. Melo, at this point, is kind of a shell of his former self. I think he would be better suited coming off the bench, but he's already said that he is not a bench player. He said it in different words than that, but he he is not going to come off the bench, I don't think. You have Andre Roberson. He'll be coming back. You bring in Hall um, from the draft, the, the guy from Virginia, you have Terrence Ferguson, Jeremy Grant, who re-upped with the, with Thunder. Alex Abreen is just just some of the names on that roster. There, this is a team that's also going to be hard pressed to to make it past the the second round. Obviously, keeping Paul George there for the next four years is going to be helpful, and then Russ is also locked in long term on his max deal. But they need to find a way to add some more some more talent. I don't know how they're going to do that. They don't really have like a ton of assets. They can trade. They thought that Carmelo was going to be that guy that would help them get into that upper echelon of teams in the Western Conference. Uh, clearly, he was not. But 
if nothing else, I think it'll just it'll make the fans in OKC happy just because basketball uh, will be enjoyable there for for four years. Um, it's not like that team has to tank uh, intentionally lose just to try to get talent. You'll have a nice one-two punch of Russ and Paul George, which is about as good as you're going to get uh, anywhere in the NBA. So it'll be interesting to see how good that team turns out. As I said, I don't think they end up getting past the second round. They're they're not really at that level yet. But in the future, I think with with Russ and PG running the show, uh, it's it, that team could be interesting somewhere down the road. Uh, was it a good move? I think it was. I, I think it was. I think Paul George. He got a lot of respect for me. And you got to figure he probably knew that LeBron was going to L.A. too. So the fact that he himself decided not to go to Los Angeles and instead stay in OKC despite knowing that LeBron was going to go out to L.A., it, it made me respect him a lot. And I respected Paul George a lot even before that. But it, my respect level definitely went up a ton. So playoff P, Paul George will be remain a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder for the next four years, got his max deal at $137 million. Other moves around the NBA, uh, none that were too surprising. Durant re-upped with the, with the Golden State Warriors. He got a max deal, a 1 plus 1, so he could potentially hit the free agent market again next year. It gave him some flexibility, uh, if nothing else, but he'll remain a member of the Warriors for a long time. There was a report that LeBron actually reached out to Durant and just said, hey, do you want to come to, you know, play with me? And obviously that went nowhere. Durant was always going to stay with the Warriors. He gets the one plus one. And uh, even though he might opt out again um, next offseason, uh, he'll, he'll be a member of the Golden State Warriors for, for years to come. Chris Paul is going to remain a member of the Houston Rockets, which was fantastic news for the Rockets. I, there wasn't really any risk of losing him, I wouldn't say. But Paul signed the four-year max to remain with Houston him and James Harden now, that duo will remain together. Uh, the duo that won 65 games, then you add in, of course, Mike D'Antoni running the show down in Houston. I think that they'll... Do they win 65 games again? I don't know, but they're obviously going to be either the one or the two seed. In a tough Western Conference, uh, the, you figure the Rockets were a Paul injury away from from making the the NBA Finals this year. So I think as long as he stays healthy, as long as Harden stays healthy, the, that team takes another step. Uh, they're going to be right back to where they were um, this past season. They're going to be right back in the Western Conference Finals, neck and neck with the Golden State Warriors. I think that's fair to expect. The The intriguing thing that happened over the weekend for me, uh, Nikola Jokic is going to be staying in Denver. He had a player option for this season that the Nuggets are going to decline in order to give him a five-year max that's worth close to, I want to say, $147 million. Uh, the Nuggets are kind of an intriguing team now in that Western Conference. So they draft Michael Porter Jr. at 14 uh, in the NBA draft uh, a couple weeks ago. If he stays healthy, that is a steal at 14. If he doesn't, then you know it's, it is what it is. You deal with it at that point. If I'm a, an NBA GM, I don't know if I could take the risk on Michael Porter Jr. He's it's It's been said that the injuries he has, they kind of are chronic in nature. So I don't know, especially at his age, back problems, that's it's a little bit risky. But uh, I, I think that if if he can even play to 75% of his potential, the, the Nuggets, you know, they got a solid player. Coming into the season, he was viewed as the best player in the draft, and then he gets injured, of course, and a couple guys overtake him, guys like DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic and you know some other names out there. 
They also have Jamal Murray, who should take another step forward. Paul Millsap, who signed a free agent contract with them last year. Gary Harris, who I think really kind of came into his own this year. I think he became more well-known outside of Denver, um, which is good. Trey Lyles proved that he could be a solid rotational piece, the forward from Kentucky. Will Barton re-upped on a four-year contract as well. So the Nuggets, they are they're an interesting case. It was funny. I saw a report that... They were aggressively trying to 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 get uh, a meeting with LeBron James's agent. That was never going to happen. LeBron's not going to go to Denver out of all places. But I, I still thought that was a little funny. But Denver, they're they're building something nice out there in the West. I I think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They they were only one game out last year, right? They lose to the Timberwolves on the final day of the season, so they miss out on making the playoffs. But the Nuggets, they have a very talented team. I'm happy to see the Jokic is not going to try to jump ship. After his contract's up, he's going to stay there in Denver for the for the foreseeable future for the next five years. Gets that max deal. It's nice to see players like that staying in a market like Denver. So I'm interested to see if Denver can take another step forward this year. I think they will. I've always liked the, the Denver Nuggets. So I look forward to seeing how big of a step they take. You figure they get 46 wins, but they're only two, two games back of the four seed in the Western Conference. So they're right there with a lot of the teams out there in the West. So it'll be intriguing to see what they do this year. Some names still out there for NBA free agency as we start to wrap this segment up. It's going on for about, I guess, 20 minutes or so. Dwayne Wade, he's mulling retirement. He said in an interview with Karan Butler and Chris Mannix on a Fox Sports radio show several weeks ago, he would only want to play for Miami. The exact quote was, so at this point for me sitting here contemplating on playing the game of basketball, my only vision as I sit here today is playing in a Miami Heat uniform. So it seems like it's either Miami or bust for him. Now, he's done, Wade has done all he needs to do in his career. He has the ranks, he has the stats, all the accolades that he ever would need. He's been in the league for, what, 15 years now at this point. So if he wanted to retire, uh, I wouldn't blame him. He had a nice final run in Miami. He he goes back there this past season, helps take them to the, to the playoffs um, where they end up losing to the Sixers, but Still a nice final run for him. I think if he wanted to, he could still be a productive player for, for one more season. But I wouldn't blame him if he wanted to retire. He's been around the block uh, a few times. Um, so uh, if if he had to ask me right now, I think he'll maybe come back for, for one more season. But I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he retires. And the other big name out there is DeMarcus Cousins. Is he going to go to the Lakers? He's going to go to the Pelicans? He's going to go to an unexpected team? I'd, he's an interesting case in that you, you look at the base statistics like, wow, this guy puts up a lot of points and he can shoot the three and he rebounds a lot. But then you look a little deeper into it. The, the big number for me when it comes to DeMarcus Cousins is his, is his usage rate. He has a 31 point, he had a 31.9% usage rate last year. That was behind just James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Joel Embiid in the, in the entire NBA. So if you're looking at signing a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, you have to understand that, especially if he's not going to be the guy on offense, his stats, uh, they're, they're not going to be you know phenomenal. This is a guy that needs a lot of volume in order to, to accumulate the stats that he does. Now, he's, uh, he's a very talented big man, especially in the offensive end. He can play inside. He can play in the post. He can shoot three. He can do a lot. But I, I think people should really temper their their expectations uh, a little bit. I saw there there was some anonymous GM out there that kind of I, I don't think trashed is is the right adjective, but they said that they they wouldn't be sold on him if they were, you know, 
if they're looking for a big man to sign. I don't know if I go that far. He's obviously a very talented player, but I think whatever team gets him, that the fan base should temper their expectations just, just just a little bit. Talented player, but temper your expectations just a little bit, and I think you'll be fine. So a lot of other names out there still as well. Of course, Frenchy just started a couple days ago on July 1st. So it's, uh, you know, still still a lot can happen in the NBA, and we'll be sure to cover that here on the Brian Willis Sports Podcast. But we want to shift gears now to the to the NHL. Uh, their free agency started this weekend as, as well. The big name, of course, John Tavares, formerly of the New York Islanders. He had a list of several teams that he was considering. He was considering, of course, the, the Islanders, the Sharks, the Bruins, the Blues, the Stars, he eventually goes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He goes back home. He tweeted out a very wholesome picture of him laying in his Toronto Maple Leafs uh, blanket uh, when he was a young kid, a youngin. He signs there for seven years, $77 million. So you do the quick math, that's an $11 million AAV, average annual value. Is he the answer in uh, in Toronto? It's, it's a possibility. So you look at Toronto and, and John Tavares just at the base. So Toronto gets, they have 105 points last year. That was good for third in a very top-heavy Atlantic division. It was tied for third in the East. Tampa Bay and Boston were ahead of them, both teams in their own division. Then Washington in the Metro also had 105 points. 277 goals. That was tied for, for the second most in the entire league. Tampa Bay had 296, and then Winnipeg, the other team, with 277 you look at what JT did last year. He played all 82 games. He accumulated 84 points, so he was a point-per-game player. 37 goals, 47 assists. Well, it's The big question is, will Toronto be markedly better than they were a season ago? And I think if you look at the standings uh, next year at the end of April, do the Blues have... Or not the Blues, the Maple Leafs. Their main color is blue. Do the Maple Leafs have uh, a, more than 105 points? I think they might have slightly more, but this doesn't this doesn't catapult them from 105 to say 115 or 117 or something like that. I think on paper and as a team, the the Maple Leafs are um, in a much better situation than they were this past year. I d- will it show up, you know, on the stat sheet and the standings? It it might not. But I think as a team, they're they're kind of well set. Of course, they they still need defense. I think that's that's fair to say. Their defense is kind of their their Achilles heel right now. You, you still have Morgan Riley. Um, you have Jake Gardner, but their defense could they could definitely use a little help. You obviously have the the forward depth now. You have the goaltender and Frederick Anderson, but you could really use some defense. the The big question with with Tavares too is who he's going to be playing with. It seems like Mitch Marner is probably going to get the the first chance to play with him, which I think is a good a good move. You look at Mitch Marner; he gets uh, he had a nice season last year, sixty nine points. He had twenty two goals, forty seven assists. Willie Nylander he had sixty one points, twenty goals, forty one assists. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, I they they wouldn't put him on the first line. It's, I think it's fair to say that Tavares is going to be their their first line center, and and just to go off of that uh, a little bit. Uh, people are going to say, oh, well, you got Tavares on the first line, and now Matthew's on the second line, so Matthew's going to get a little less time. That's that's not necessarily the case. It's all it's all situational. It's all it's all scenario-based. Uh, I think that by the end of the season, they'll probably get close to even time, uh, Tavares and Matthews. That's kind of the way the NHL is trending. It's not necessarily you have, okay, the, the number one center is going to get this much time. The number two center is going to get this much time. 
you look at it with Pittsburgh um, down the middle with Crosby and Malkin. They kind of, you know, they share it pretty well. I think that's good. That's what's going to happen in Toronto. You look down the middle for, for Toronto, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Nazem Kadri. I think only Pittsburgh can can rival that depth down the middle. And as a Flyers fan, the Flyers might be able to, to rival that further down the line. Um, and I'll, I'll get into the Flyers in a little bit because they made a big free agent signing as well. But it, it's always good to have depth down the middle. Um, historically, the teams that get far in the playoffs and make the Stanley Cup and win the finals, they have depth down the middle. So I, I think, you know, was were there bigger needs in Toronto? Yes. But will Tavares help them out? Of course. Uh, it's You look at their forwards now. Zach Hyman, he had 40 points last year, 15 goals, 25 assists. Kasperi Kapanen's going to be in line for, I think, a bigger role this year. Connor Brown had a solid season with 28 points, 14 goals, and 14 assists. So if I had to guess, uh, I think that Tavares is definitely going to be playing with Marner. It seemed like Babcock uh, up there in Toronto really likes the Matthews and Hyman connection so I doubt that that will change too much as well it's just it really depends where they end up putting a guy like Willie Nylander a guy like Patrick Marlowe um but their their top nine is is filthy up there in Toronto so are they the favorites in the east I think I'd still go Tampa Bay at this point I think Tampa Bay is a more complete team but Toronto they're they're not at the basement anymore. They've they've built this team up to be a perennial contender, and I think with this Tavares signing, they've they've definitely done that. Uh, it's with with the Tavares thing, a lot of Islanders fans are upset, and and rightfully so. I can only imagine if this was Claude Giroux uh, as a Flyers fan. I can only imagine if Claude Giroux left uh, in this fashion. And I think Islanders fans have a right to be upset. Um, for there were many points uh, over the past year, year and a half, where Tavares said, "Oh, I don't envision myself playing anywhere but the Islanders. I want to get a deal done with New York. I want to stay here. This, that, and the other." He asked not to be traded from the Islanders. Um, he asked them not to talk about his contract last offseason when they could start talking about it. Uh, but. Instead, he ends up just bolting out the door despite bringing in the Stanley Cup winning coach, Barry Trotz, despite bringing in a really well-regarded GM and Lou Lamarillo, who who was with Toronto for a period of time. It's, I think it's fair to be upset. He kind of, uh, he, I don't want to, I don't know if it's fair to say he set the franchise back, but if you're in his situation I don't think you can ask not to be traded, especially the situation that the Islanders were in. They could have traded him for not not a ton, right? Because at that point he would have been a rental. Um, but they could have really brought in some some nice pieces to kind of at least accelerate now what's going to end up being a rebuild uh, a, a little bit. But now you look at, at the Islanders, they're left with Matt Barzell, and they have some talented pieces, but they're going to be a draft lottery team for all intents and purposes next year, which is which is a shame. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum, you kind of have to blame Garth Snow and, and that Islanders front office for not surrounding Tavares with enough talent during his time there. And they, they tried their best, I guess, but it, it, it wasn't nearly enough to convince Tavares to, to, to stick around. And I think the Islanders kind of thought, the, the higher-ups thought, okay, let's bring in Lamarillo, and that'll convince Tavares that that uh, the Islanders, they're the place to be. But it's it, it didn't work out. So I think, is it fair to be upset at Tavares if you're an Islanders fan? Yes, but you also have to consider the fact that your front office did you know next to nothing. 
uh, over his time during his prime to kind of convince him to to stick it in in New York. Uh, now you look at the Islanders; they're in they're not in the best situation. They have a lot of holes on that roster. Uh, the arena situation uh, is going to be a question mark, but. You do bring in Barry Trotz and Lula Morello, so I think that over time that organization will kind of get back um, to being uh, a yearly playoff team, but the next few years are probably going to be a little rough. But John Tavares decides to go back home to Toronto, seven years, $77 million. Now, speaking of the Leafs, another Leaf, James Van Riemsdyk, he was a free agent. The Maple Leafs chose not to re-up him, so he went back to the team that drafted him number two overall in 2007. The Philadelphia Flyers signed for five years, $35 million. That's a $7 million AAV. He left more term on the table, reports came out. So there were some teams offering him seven years uh, at, I guess, around 7 or $8 million. He left all that on the table just to come back to Philadelphia. I heard that Giroux... And Voracek were, were big reasons why he came back. They were kind of in contact, especially Drew. He was in contact with, with Van Riemsdyk leading up to free agency saying, oh, yeah, you should definitely come back if you have the opportunity. And lo and behold, it did. And it's it's awesome. So as a Flyers fan, they get 98 points last year. They finished third in the Metropolitan Division, sixth uh, overall in the Eastern Conference. They lose in the first round of the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games. Uh, this is exactly what the Flyers need. They need someone that can put the puck in the back of the net. And JVR had 36 goals a season ago, career high. Uh, it's he could, He's good for 30 a year. I think that this contract is good too because you consider at the end of this contract, he's only going to be 33, 34 years old. So it's not like he's going to experience a sharp decline when he hits like 37, hypothetically. I think this is something that the Flyers had to do as well. They tried to get a meeting with Tavares, but they were denied, um, which is unfortunate. But... I think overall this is better for the for the franchise. You get a guy in JVR that can immediately slot into your top six. Uh, you look at the lines as they are right now. You probably figure Giroux, Katori, and Konechny will be that first line. You can now slot in JVR on that second line with Nolan Patrick, who will be in his second year. He really turned it on towards the end of the year, and Jakob Voracek. You put it together, Oscar Lindblom and Wayne Simmons on that third line, and you have someone to center them. The, the popular name around these parts is, is Morgan Frost, who has bulked up. Uh, so it's a possibility that he's your 3C uh, in Philadelphia. I don't know if that will be the case. It's I would love to see Morgan Frost up on the Flyers, but I'm not too confident that they're going to let him start the season in the NHL. But I've been wrong before, obviously, so we'll see. And then your fourth line, you have a lot of options. Obviously, you have Jordan Wheel, Scott Lawton, Michael Raffle, Danik Martell, Yori Laterra, Dale Weiss, Tara Lear, Mike Vecchione, uh, Mikhail Robiev. It's there's a lot of options for that for that fourth line. A lot of a lot of names that could possibly slot in for the Flyers. But you, now you have a nice, a very nice top six. You have that forward depth. You have uh, a solid defense. Uh, it really the question, and it's been the question for for forever for the Flyers. Really since I've been alive, I'm 21 years old. Is goaltending? You have Brian Elliott, you have Michael Neuvert, you have Alex Lyon. It's I think that Lyon's probably going to get more of a look this upcoming year. He played really well for the Flyers down the stretch. Uh, I think, especially with Neuvert's injury history, I wouldn't be surprised if Lyon ends up getting that backup job. Um, Elliott was, you know, it's he played the same way he has his entire career. He had stretches of really good play. He had stretches of subpar play, but overall, I think he was a nice addition for the Flyers. And I think JVR, he's a good addition as well. It's I it, 
I was kind of surprised that he left more years on the table just to come back to Philadelphia. It shows what he thought about the organization before he was uh, insanely traded away for, for Luke Shen. Uh, he, he should have never been traded in the first place, but it's nice to see him back. He'll give the Flyers a nice kick, and I think this will help the Flyers take that next step into becoming a contender. I think, if nothing else, this may help them finally win a playoff series for the first time since since 2012 when they defeated the Penguins there in that first round. But Van Riemsdyk back to the Flyers, five years, $35 million. Uh, another big thing that happened, Carter Hutton, who had a phenomenal season for the St. Louis Blues, he really pushed Jake Allen for the entire year, especially when Allen was struggling. He agreed on a three-year, $8.25 million contract with the Buffalo Sabres. He took at Hutton last year, 17-7-3, a 2.09 goals against average, a 9.31 save percentage. Those were among the, the best marks in the entire league. Is he the answer in Buffalo? They're going to hope he is. They thought they had their answer in Robin Lehner. It's it that wasn't the answer, so they're gonna hope that Hutton can kind of carry it. If Hutton does, you know, about as well as he did in St. Louis, I think the Sabres are gonna be a team to watch, especially now they bring in Darlene from the from the draft, the first overall pick. The so I think they have a lot of talent on that team, even though they made a big trade uh, that I'm gonna get into in a second. Buffalo has a lot of young talent on that team. I think if Hutton performs well, they'll be playing meaningful hockey. Uh, as late as February or March. Do or Now, do they make the playoffs? I doubt it. I don't think that's fair to expect, but they're on the right path, especially if Hunt proves that he can be a, a solid goaltender. Maybe not a franchise goaltender, but a solid goaltender. So I, I, I like Carter Hutton. I'm a, I'm a big fan, uh, but I think it's fair to kind of wonder how he's going to do. This is really the first time in his career that he's been the guy. So we'll see how he does. Uh, I think that, that, that he'll be fine. I, I really hope for Buffalo's sake that... They, they found their goalie for at least the next few years until they get a more long-term answer. Uh, it's it's fun when Buffalo's a good team, I think, with all the young talent. You know, um, chief among them, Darlene, Jack Eichel, just to name a couple. Uh, it's It'll be a fun team to watch. Now, the trade that they made was with the St. Louis Blues. The Blues have been extremely active. They traded Berglund, Sabatka, Thompson, who's one of their top prospects, a 2019 first and a 2021 second. To the Sabers for Ryan O'Reilly, and this was—I uh, was in love with this move. So the the Blues obviously had to give up a lot for this, but I think Ryan O'Reilly is is really underrated uh, in a lot of in a lot of circles. I think part of it's because he spent his career playing for Colorado and Buffalo, but I think he is one of the most underrated players in the entire league. He can just do so much for you. He's a consistent fifty-five to sixty-five point player. He's really good. He's a Great two-way player. Yeah, he always gets sulky consideration. So I, I love this trade for the Blues. You combine Ryan O'Reilly now. You bring in David Perron, the, the former Blue, who had a career year for the Vegas Golden Knights last year. Four years, $16 million. You bring in Tyler Bozak. You bring in Chad Johnson to be your new backup goalie um, to back up Jake Allen. Uh, the Blues, they missed out on the playoffs this year. They're just one point back um, behind the Colorado Avalanche, who had a, a phenomenal year as they got back to the playoffs. But I think the Blues, they're definitely in good position now to, to make it back to the to the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, after a year off. Uh, as I said, they finished just a point out last year, and I think now it's, uh, it's a more talented team. They obviously give up a lot of assets, but I think if you're St. Louis, you, you do this every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I, I like this trade for the Blues. Other moves, the Penguins signed defenseman Jack Johnson, formerly the Columbus Blue Jackets, to a five-year deal worth $16.25 million dollars. 
I was a little confused by this. I don't know if I would have gone quite that long or quite that much with Jack Johnson, but the Penguins, you know, maybe they know something we don't. Johnson, he'll join a, a pretty young defense corps with Brian Dumoulin, who's only 26. Oli Mata is 23. Obviously, Latang's 31. He's kind of had injury issues the past several seasons. Justin Schultz, who the Penguins acquired from, I believe, Edmonton uh, a while back. He's 28. So they're looking to shore up their top six. I think Jack Johnson will be able to provide suitable top six minutes for that team. Another defenseman that signed was with the Boston Bruins. Uh, John Moore signed for five years for an AAV of $2.75 million. It's kind of an odd fit with all the defensemen that are currently on Boston's roster. I was I was looking at their, their lines the other day when I was talking to a friend. Um, and it's they have a lot of defensemen, but you kind of figure that, especially since they missed out on Tavares, they're going to probably try to trade either McQuaid or more likely Toy Krug to to try to get maybe some some scoring, especially now since they've lost Rick Nash and Riley Nash. They're probably going to try to you know get some scoring uh, on that team. Um, but I think that the Bruins now they're pretty they're set defensively for a while. Um, you get some scoring on that team, I think you'll be good for good to go for a while. Obviously, they lose their backup goaltender. And Anton Kudobin, which was kind of a big loss because now you bring in Yaroslav Halak, who was not uh, very good last year. And that's kind of an understatement for the New York Islanders. Uh, but uh, you bring him in as your new backup goaltender. I believe he's on a two-year contract. So it's the Bruins there in a very good position. Um, they're going to be a contender for, for a while. They have a lot of nice young talent, uh, of course, on that team. So the, the Bruins are set for a while. Uh, John Moore will only help this team out. Nice left-handed shot. Something that the Bruins needed. Uh, and then finally, one final thing I want to make note of. Uh, Golden Knights snagged Paul Stasny. Um, he had a solid run last year with the Blues and the Jets. He decided to sign with the Golden Knights. Three years, $19.5 million. He's a very nice locker room presence. If nothing else, he did very well for the for the Winnipeg Jets in the playoffs. I believe he had something like 15 points in 19 games. Uh, it, so he'll slot into Vegas' top nine, especially after Vegas just lost David Perron. So I think that's a it's a good signing for for Stasny. Uh, got a lot of money. This was this was his chance to kind of get in one final big contract in his career and. Uh, I think it's a good spot for him out in Vegas. Uh, that team should be very good for the years to come, and I think having Stasny there will only help that team. So wild free agency in both the NBA and NHL starting off, and still a lot of talent available in both leagues. So it'll be interesting to see where some of these big names kind of go, especially since the, the really elite players kind of off the board. But to end this podcast, kind of have to talk about NASCAR, right? So, of course, everyone wants to talk about NASCAR, uh, everyone's favorite sport. Obviously, they were at Chicagoland. Kyle Busch ended up the winner. Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., and Clint Boyer rounded out your top five. Eric Jones with a nice run at the uh, at the Chicagoland 1.5-mile track. He he finished sixth, followed by Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and Alex Bowman. So not too many surprises there in the, in the top ten. So Chicagoland... It was the start of NBC's coverage, so for those that don't know, Fox Sports covers NASCAR for about the first half of the year, and then NBC takes it over, and I think NBC had to be thrilled with what happened. So, Chicago, it's a 1.5-mile track, and there's kind of a stigma uh, around 1.5-mile intermediate tracks, and for good reason. A lot of the times, the racing is kind of boring. Uh, they get spread out. Uh, it's it's usually not too, it's not too entertaining, especially to a casual fan. 
Chicagoland's kind of unique in that there's not really a straightaway. It's the the back part of the of the track. It's kind of curved to the left, so uh, it's 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 a unique track. Uh, it's that's not the reason why the the race at Chicagoland was was great. So Kyle Busch wins. He didn't have the best car, but he found himself in the lead late, uh, and then it's he was able to kind of get past Kevin Harvick, uh, and he had the lead for for a while. But he, he, as I said, he didn't have the best car. Now, Kyle Larson, meanwhile, he was back, uh, I want to say in fourth. He was running very fast late in late in the race with about 20 or so to go. He was able to pass Martin Truex Jr. He was able to pass Kevin Harvick to get in the second. He was running the high line, so he would just, you know, he'd kind of let off a little bit going into going into the turns, run that high line. And he would just get a hell of a, a hell of a run coming off of, you know, turn two and then turn four. And that allowed him to to cut the deficit from Bush. There was a point where I want to say he was, I, I want to say at least two, three seconds back. He cut that to where they were uh, less than four tenths of a second behind. And he caught up to Kyle Bush with about eight laps or, or so to go. And then it, it, it's not the first time this happened either. He hits the wall, uh, unfortunately. Um, and that was, that was when he thought, okay, well, it's over because at that point, uh, he was about three, four tenths of a second back. He falls back to at least a second and a half behind Kyle Busch. He's like, all right, well, that was fun while it lasted. But then there was Ryan Newman. And lap traffic played a huge role in the in the end of this race. So Ryan Newman starts it all. Uh, pe- <laughs> Newman's a funny guy in that, you know, he's not going to give up position even if, he, even if he's not really in contention for a win. So he was about to get lapped by Kyle Busch. But Newman, he wasn't... <laughs> It's funny because he's not he's he's kind of a hard ass on the track, which is it's it's why I find it funny. He's he's fighting like hell to try not to get lapped, and this is something that helps Kyle Larson because now Kyle Busch has to contend with this lap traffic. He has to get slowed down a little bit. So Larson he's still running this high line, and he's able to to kind of use the the lap traffic that Kyle Busch is dealing with to his advantage. So he gets his back up to Kyle Busch. Now, as I said, lap traffic played a big role. That deficit, because of that lap traffic, what Kyle Busch had to deal with, it's gone. That one and a half second deficit, gone. So Larson's right back there with Bush, and like they were dealing with lap traffic, like Newman, Kurt Busch was there, Chase Elliott, just a couple, a couple of the guys they had to deal with, and then a couple of guys further back in the pack that had been lapped already. So it, it gets to the point where we're in the final couple laps, and Larson's right there. He's trying some different stuff too. He's not just running the high line now. Now he's trying to run the low line in one and two, the high line in three and four. He's just trying different stuff. He's run the middle lane there for a, a couple laps. So he was just trying a, a bunch of different things just to try to catch up to Bush, and he finally does. So we get to the final lap, and he, he gives them a, a, kind of like a tap in, in turns one and two. He, as Dale Jr. said, I'm going to get him into him in a second. Dale Jr. said it was like, he was really, they say he was like, oh, slide job, slide job. So Larson gives Bush a tap, and he comes out of turn two as the leader. Now, coming into turn three, you know, Kyle Bush, you kind of had to expect this. He repaid the favor, which is fair. A lot of people were up in a tizzy about this. Like, oh, how could he just try to dump Larson? It, Larson hit him first, so uh, it was only fair. Uh, Bush gave him a tap uh, in turn three, but as soon as he gave him that tap, Bush went into the wall, and he was kind of scraping the wall there. Now, as this is happening, that tap from from Bush caused Larson to, to get loose, so he's... You see, you have Bush in the in the on the outside wall. You have Larson on an angle. He's spinning. You see the the, the smoke coming from the back tires. 
Now, I thought, now Larson, he's a, he's a very acclaimed dirt track racer, so I thought that Larson was going to be able to wheel this thing around, kind of drift it, and stay in the lead. Obviously, that didn't happen, but give credit to, to Larson for managing to not spin out completely. He managed to recoup and still get the, the second place finish. But Kyle Busch was able to recoup as well. He gets off the wall, and he finishes first. So Bush and Larson both recover, and they finish 1-2. This was one of the best races on a 1.5-mile track that this sport has had in a very long time. This was not only one of the best races that there that we've had this year, it's one of the best races we've had in a long time. So it's it goes to show that, you know, th- there's thought about maybe changing the, the aero package on these cars to make them slower, adding, you know, restrictor plates just to, to make it a little more entertaining. But if nothing else, the Chicago race, the Chicago land race goes to show that, you know, it's, in certain situations, this this package is is fine. This was one of the best races we've seen in in a long time. So I was excited. It really, you know, really paid off watching that. Uh, this was it was it was new for Chicagoland because normally they're they're a playoff race for the past several years. They've been a playoff race, but this year they kind of changed up the schedule. So Chicago, they they raced uh, in, in July, uh, and they had twenty four lead changes. Um, in this in this race in 2018, that was twice as much as they had in 2017, and that was that was a playoff race. So I think it was it's it was it was incredible. It's not anywhere close to what I was expecting out of 1.5 mile track. Now I mentioned Dale Jr. This was his first race in the booth for NBC Sports. So obviously he retired at the end of last year. He goes up into the booth. The big question was how would he do? I think he did a great job. He was enthusiastic, but he wasn't too enthusiastic to where like you feel like okay, it, relax. It, it, he he wasn't to the point where I, I want to use Tony Romo as an example, right? So Tony Romo goes into the booth. He he gets very excited. He's like, "Oh, Jim, I don't know," right? But like it, it, some people really don't like Tony because of that. Like some people say he gets like a little too excited in the booth, um, which I think is fine. I love seeing that. But Dale Jr. he was enthusiastic, but not to that level. Uh, I forget who did it. Someone compared it to, uh, like, you're with your friend and you're both, like, having a drink and you're both watching the race together. That's what they compared it to, which I think is fair. Uh, I think Dale Jr. is going to be a perfect fit in that booth. Uh, obviously, he just kind of came out of this generation car uh, a season ago, so he kind of has more knowledge about this than anybody up there in the booth right now. Uh, I think he's going to do very good as time goes on. I think the first race was was a good start, a good base. And I think that as time goes on, the same thing that happened with Tony Romo. As time goes on, he's only going to get better for, from here. So I'm happy that Dale Jr. is in the booth. Sounded very good. I'm happy that he'll still be involved. Uh, so you look at now the, the standings. Uh, only six drivers are locked in, which is which is really interesting. So Kyle Busch has five wins. Kevin Harvick has five wins with, the, with an asterisk. Technically, he only has four wins. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. has has three wins. Clint Boyer has two wins, and then Joey Logano and Austin Dillon each have one win apiece. So there are ten spots open, um, which is which is really interesting because we're we're kind of coming close to the to the end of the of the NASCAR season. There's not really a, a ton of races left to to get things going. You take a look now. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine races left until the chase begins, the round of sixteen. Um, so there's 10 spots open, nine races left. Now you're not going to get nine different winners, especially not, especially not this season, but, um, you, you take a look here. Kesel, 
based on the points, Keselowski, Kurt Busch, Hamlin, Larson, and Blaney are pretty much safely in on points at this point, along with Almirola, Johnson, Elliott Jones, and Bowman. Bowman is the cutoff. Stenhouse is 23 points behind him. Paul Menard, 28 points behind Bowman. And then after that, there's no one else really, really close um, in terms of points. Suarez is is, uh, is very far back. But it's it's interesting because Daytona is this Saturday. It's one of the best races of the year. The the Saturday night Daytona race, the 4th of July weekend. It's, it's a mainstay. It'll be on NBC. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's one of my favorite races of the year. You get to see all these cool patriotic schemes. It's under the lights at Daytona. The racing's always great at Daytona. But uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens because Daytona, this is the opportunity for guys like a, like, a Mc, like a Jamie McMurray, like a Bubba Wallace, guys who probably aren't going to win at a different track because Daytona, for those of you that don't follow NASCAR, it's a super speedway. So it's it's the point where teams who maybe aren't as strong as you know Kyle Busch's or Kevin Harvick's, they have a shot to win. Super speedways are interesting because everyone has a chance to win, um, technically. So it's I'm interested to see. This is going to be a great chance for someone that you know doesn't have a win yet to cement their spot, and not necessarily a guy like a Keselowski or Kurt Busch who probably make it in on points anyway. But a guy, like I said, like a Jamie Mack or like a Bubba Wallace, someone who's in the top 30 in points right now, but. They need a win to get in. And there's only nine races left, 10 spots open. If you win this, it's not necessarily, oh, well, maybe I'll get in, maybe I won't. You'll definitely get a spot in the chase if you win at Daytona. So it'll be a lot of fun to see who comes out on top. Of course, Austin Dillon won the Daytona 500 back in February. Um, He has his win. He's locked in. But we'll see who wins the July race. Uh, It's the Coke something 400. Uh, I don't know what they're (laughs) calling it. I don't know what they're calling it now. But you look ahead, Kentucky, it's another Saturday night race. That's on July 14th at 7.30. They're in New Hampshire at Loudoun on July 22nd. And then they're back at Pocono for the second time in two months. At the end of July, July 29th, before the stretch run begins in August, uh, August rolls around. They have five races to go until they until the, the chase begins on September 16th. So we're, we're getting close to the, the stretch run of the NASCAR schedule. Uh, really looking forward to it. A lot of a lot of fun stuff coming up um, for for NASCAR. But that'll just about do it for this episode of the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast. I want to thank you all for for listening. Be sure to connect with me on social media. Uh, everything, uh, all my social media. It's just my name, Ryan Wallace. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud. If you could think about it, I'm probably on it. Uh, just search my name and be sure to connect with me. I would love to interact with you. But thank you for listening to this episode of the Ryan Wild Sports Podcast, and I'll catch you next time.